Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might have a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God deserves. Therefore, get rid of all mortal flesh, filth, and the evil that is so prevalent and humbling. Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so decisive themselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the world, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. After looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets who he looks like. But whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed with what they do. Those who consider themselves righteous, religious do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceiving themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and the widows and their distress to keep them oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of God and the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we gather this morning to hear your word read and proclaimed. We pray that our hearts, our souls, our lives would be opened, that we would not just hear your word, but that we would be transformed so that as we leave this place, we would be hearers and doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So I confess to you that I like the Winter Olympics. I love it when it's the Winter Olympics year, when they they meet in some frosty environment and there's the skiing and the downhill and all that. But I'm really amazed. It seems like for the last four or five Winter Olympics, NBC has really wanted to make sure that we understand the most accessible and misunderstood sport in the Winter Olympics, curling. I mean, to make sure that we understand that basically it's like shuffleboard on ice. And so to make sure that they bring in these experts and they, they close a curling rink or a curling arena down and they, they bring the lights in and so it's dark except for right along the lane that they're doing everything and they explain it in excruciating detail. 
They show you all the different tools and all the different pieces and parts that you've got to have to be on a curling team. And so at the end of it all, you've watched all these graphics, all these interviews, all this video, and you think to yourself, man, if I could have some ice and a rock and a target, a broom and some loud pants and some slippery shoes, I can be a curler. I can be an Olympic athlete. And you look at yourself in the mirror and go, some loud pants and I can be an Olympic athlete. I mean, any one of us can do this, right? But let's just say for a moment, you've gotten all that stuff together. Shoes that are slick on ice, you've got a rock, the broom, the loud pants, and you wait for that winter storm to come through and leave that perfect North Carolina sheet of ice in your driveway. Are we really curlers at that point? No. Not until we really go out, not until we go out there and actually compete can we truly say that we're curlers? Can we truly say that we're athletes of any sort in that sport? Not until we leave our house and actually go and play the sport can we do it. Years ago, Holiday Inn Express had that whole ad campaign like where you know, there would be somebody that would have this major some trauma going on and somebody would say, move out of the way, move out of the way and say, I need this and I need this and I need that. And before you know it, they performed open heart surgery right there in the middle of the lobby of a hotel or someplace. And someone goes, oh my gosh, are you a doctor? And said, oh no, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. As if somehow or other this innate knowledge made us an expert without practicing. So we read in the book of James today, James is writing to the early Christians and it's a treatise, if you will, on the convergence of faith and life. Where faith and life intersect, where the rubber meets the road, if you will. And I love what he says in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. James is trying to encourage early Christians that what they are learning, what they are hearing in worship, what they are singing praises to and praying and learning and reading about matters not if it stays in the room and it stays to ourselves. That a faith that is not practiced is really empty and while it may have meaning to us, it has no meaning to the world. If our, if our mission is to go out into the world and make disciples and to follow Jesus and to transform the world, then we've actually got to go out and live our faith. If our faith is not practiced, it doesn't grow, it doesn't mature, it doesn't multiply. In other words, what you and I learn in the walls of this church, in our Bible studies, in our home devotions, what we learn in worship can't stay in here or stay just to ourselves. It must, it must be lived, it must be practiced, it must be shared for all the world to see that everybody up and down Fifth Street and across Winston-Salem and Forsyth County and around the world must see our faith in action. So throughout the book of James, James is writing and telling, telling these early Christians things that they can do. In our passage today, we get just a glimpse of what we could do to make our faith active and alive in our world today. He writes these words, 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, as if those are the words that maybe just maybe we need to hear today. If you think about it, our world is a very noisy place. We've got all kinds of technology now between computers and tablets and cell phones that seem to have all kinds of alerts and uh, buttons and whatnot that they're pushing stuff out to us all the time. If I turn the sound on on my phone, I'm getting an alert about everything from the weather to a change in the ball scores to a text message to God knows what. But it goes off all day long and different sounds have different meanings. But it's not just our technology is it that makes noise if you turn on the radio if you dial across the dial you may get talk radio or if you watch tv you think you're tuning into a news channel and instead what it is is it's 24 hours of talk radio with a tv camera in front of you someone telling you their opinion someone peppering facts into it but the most part it's just wah 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 on and on and on it's incessant and if that's not enough Children, youth, adults, everyone's clamoring for our attention. I was in the grocery store the other day and there was a woman there and she, you could tell she was trying to either weigh the, the nutrition facts of the box of cereal she had and her son was pulling her, on her leg going, mama, 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 mama. And I thought, she's doing a really good job of ignoring him to her own peril. Because if she's not careful, there'll be four boxes of Lucky Charms in that cart because while she thinks he ought to eat mucilage, he's thinking Lucky Charms. But there's all this noise. Marginalized groups wanting to be recognized, wanting their cause and their voices heard. This cacophony of sound and noise, everyone wanting and everything wanting our attention. Wanting to hear us. And what do they want? This noise is people that just want to be heard. They want to vent. They want to know that they matter in the world. They just want everyone to pay attention. Well, friends, here's the thing. If you and I want to change our world, if we want to live our faith in a way that changes the world around us, we don't just need to hear the noise, but we need to lean in and listen. Don't just hear it, listen. Listen to the stories that the people are telling us, stories of pain and loss, of suffering and a search for meaning. Listen to them so that they have hope and then realize that they matter to us, at least to one person in the world. You and I may not be able to do amazing things and change the world and solve world hunger by ourselves, but if we listen to just one person, We've changed the world for that person. If they're angry and they're angry at us or just angry in general, if we just listen deeply, we just might understand that their anger is not about you or me, but about something much deeper, something that's hurt them at a much deeper level than you or I could do. If when we listen, when we take the time to listen, we really lean in. We hear the words under the words. We hear what's really going in their soul, in their hearts, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their anxieties. 
When we, send it, when we spend time to listen and really lean in, we begin to connect with them on a human level, much like God connects with us on a spiritual level when we take the time to listen to God. When we take the time to lean in and really listen to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters in the world, we begin to connect and have a greater clarity of their lives. And we're able to better love one another the way that God created us and the way that God wants us to love one another. But it's not just listening. When we listen, sometimes we're tempted to want to jump in and to speak, jump in and solve the problem, jump in and offer our advice, jump in and, and enter into it, especially if they're angry. We want to get right back at them and tell them exactly how we feel about their anger. And James says, not just be slow, quick to listen, but be slow to speak. And I think when he writes that, he's talking about this idea of mindfulness and intentionality, this duality of us being slow to speak. Again, the mindfulness part is us listening. But being slow to speak means really tuned into what that person is saying, really listening to them. As I said earlier, hearing the words under the words, hearing what's really going on in their lives. See, when we start to speak before it's time, we cut that conversation off. But it's also intentionality. See, when we're intentional, when we hear and we listen to them, then if we wait and we listen and we really listen, then instead of just the first words that come to mind, we might find the right words to say, the words they really need to hear, the words that really matter the most. And maybe, just maybe, we find out we don't need words at all. When I was in seminary, I took a class called CPE, which is Clinical Pastoral Education. It's a class that helps train pastors to really listen and to be in touch with our own feelings, but be in touch with what's going on in the world around us with our congregations and with people that we're in ministry with. It really teaches us to idea, listen and to understand maybe where people come from. And so the first day of this class, we all gather in a room, there's about 15 of us, and we're sitting around this large conference table, and class is supposed to begin at 9 o'clock, and so of course we're there at 9 o'clock. 9.05 comes and there's still no professor. Now some of us that are type A, uh, who will name our name nameless, we're starting to get a little anxious, like what's supposed to happen here, and what's going on? Why is the professor not on time? Why don't we have a syllabus? This is what's going on in my head. Well, he comes in, and he sits down at the end of the table, He's got nothing in front of him and he's just got his little briefcase beside him and he sits there and he looks around the room, around the table, all the way around this side. Sort of nods his head and then looks all the way back around the room this way. Now I don't know about you, but I'm about to crawl out of my skin at this point because now it's 10 after nine and we've not done anything and I really want to make an A and I just want to do what's right. And you know what he does? He gets out a banana. And he starts peeling a banana and starts eating it. Now I'm about to lose my mind because this is not how class is supposed to work. And I finally had enough and I said, so what are we supposed to be doing? And he puts the banana, on, and the banana down and he goes, so why did you feel like you needed to speak? By the way, that's the last time I spoke in class. <laughs> 
Of course, I had no answer. I tried to tell him, well, you know, I just trying to figure out what's going on and I couldn't get a good answer out. I was stunned. And he says, here's a story. In your work, sometimes the words you need are no words at all. You just need to be present. So when James writes, be quick to listen, slow to speak, friends, sometimes the words that we need to speak aren't words at all. We just need to be present with our brothers and sisters in their time of need, in their venting, in their life. See, when we take time to figure out whether the words are real words or just a ministry of presence, we begin to have a meaningful dialogue. We begin to diffuse the situation. Our answer comes from within, from our hearts. And then we're a little closer together with each other. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James, and I didn't get this, James didn't say don't get angry. James just said be slow in your anger. He says don't get angry like the world. Don't just fire right back. Don't make it an instant conflict. If someone wants a boxing match, don't give them the satisfaction of it. He said be slow to be angry. Save your anger for those times that it's righteous, when it really matters, when the world needs to take, uh, take notice and listen. We talk about things like injustice and social issues. Those are times to be angry. But what, Jesus is, what James was saying to us, to follow the example of Jesus, is don't just be angry for anger's sake. Instead, turn the world on its ear by not reacting the way the world expects us to. Follow Jesus' example. How many times did the, did, the, did the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people try to anger Jesus and he didn't take the bait? What happens when you and I are in conversation, when we're in, con when we're in interactions with each other that are somewhat conflictual and the world expects us to be just as angry as they are and we're not? Talk about disarming the situation. A few years ago, I was at the airport and I watched this very thing happen. A man had flown in and we were waiting on our flight and a man had come from running in from another gate and you could tell that he was a super gold platinum plus uh, airline customer and he was upset about something, something or other about he'd missed his flight, something about how they lost his luggage, something how they told him that there were no seats and he was armed for bear. He ran right up to the gate agent and he started arguing with her before she could even say hello. How incompetent she was, how incompetent the airline was, how he had been maligned and wronged and how she needed, to get her, she needed to get her head in the game and get it working and figure out how to solve the problem and get him on this flight and not only on the flight, but in the first class seat that he deserved and that they should find his luggage and get it to them at the next airport before he even got there. I mean, he was, he was on a roll and angry and one of the customers was watching and we were sitting there there were three of us just kind of watching this from the side you know didn't know each other but kind of intrigued about what was happening and the more ang the angrier he got the redder he got the veins on his neck were popping out and one guy goes he's going to have a heart attack and the other one goes she's going to reach across the counter and wring his neck 
And frankly, the way he was acting, you would have thought that would have been a reaction. It's a good thing that we didn't take bets that day because one, thankfully he didn't have a heart attack, but this was the part. She never met his anger. She kept working, smiling. Let me see what I can do about that, sir. Let me see what I can do about that. Ooh, I might have a solution here. Hang on just a second. Let me check on this. The whole interaction never recognized or acknowledged the anger of her customer. She would, if she had yelled back at him, nobody in the airport would have faulted him. Her manager would have backed her up. It was completely justified. And yet she never did. Now, I don't know when and if it ever dawned on this man that she gave him a gift or not. But for the three of us sitting there watching this whole thing happen, utterly amazed. And I dare say that if I could find the other two passengers, as that story hasn't left my memory, I bet it hasn't left theirs either. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. When the world expected her to be upset, she didn't do it and the world took notice. See, my brothers and sisters, what we learn in here can't stay in here. Our mission is simple. Follow Jesus, make disciples, transform the world. The world is both in this place, it's with each other, but it is also really out there. It is the world. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to transform the world, then we're going out every day, every Sunday after worship, we go out into a mission field that is hurting a mission field that is angry, a mission field that is lost, a mission field that's looking for, for meaning. And what do they really want? It's a noisy place out there. And what they really want is someone to listen. And someone to listen long enough and deep enough to understand what's going on. That the words we choose, whether they're real words or not, or just a ministry of presence, has meaning and meaning for their lives. And if we don't take the bait, if when the world is angry and it even they project that anger at us, if we don't take the bait, imagine what happens when the world all of a sudden realizes that we're not going to fight with them because we love them the way God loves us. Imagine the witness. So we've got all the stuff. We've got God's grace, God's love. We've got all the accoutrements to go out into the world and live our discipleship. But just like an athlete who has all the right equipment but has never stepped out on the field, you and I have got to do just that. When we want to live and play out our discipleship, we've got to step out in the mission field and put it in practice. So as we come forward this morning to the table of our Lord, celebrating in the bounty that God has given us in the bread and the wine, then let us also remember that we have to go out in the world and live that bounty. By the way we listen, the way we choose our words, and the way we hold our anger. Amen and amen.
Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.